talking with the Jens and with my wife, and there was a sense of urgency that we had to do something. It didn't have to be great, it just had to be something at the end of 2019. And, and then there was the disappointment that we weren't able to do it again, and then it just went away. But I was sitting here this morning thinking, Lord, what was that, what was the urgency of that seed to get into the ground? And, and I think there's something to that. Because what led to that service, uh, in, at least in my heart, was this, is uh, I was in a, a pastor's group, and uh, Ron McLean was part of that. You guys know Ron? That's a familiar name. And, uh, and we're talking, and Ron goes, Andy, I, I, I'm going to send you a book. And I'm like, whatever, Ron, send me a... So he sends me this book, and I, and I can't remember the title of it, but it had something about... It was about the Holy Spirit, and about the anointing, and about the church, and it had something about fire. And, it, and, I, and the reason that came to mind is I just moved that this week from my... Because my office is set up, you know, when you're on Zoom, you want the, the books of people you want them to see? And then you have the books that you want nearby, but you don't want anybody to see? Well, well my Holy Spirit books are down here. And, and I grabbed this book, and I put it up on my, my to-read section, and just this, this week. And it was one that Ron sent me. And, and when I got the book, I can't remember the title, but I remember the subtitle. Because the subtitle was, A Landmark Book. And when I was talking, right after I got that, I was talking to Ron just a couple days after. I said, Ron, I said, I, I, I said, did you send this on purpose because of the subtitle? And he goes, like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? I said, Ron, I said, it says a landmark book. And it's one of those Holy Spirit moments where he should have went, yes, that's what I did. And he went, I never even noticed that. But I read that book because of that. I read that with, with vigor. And, and it struck something. And then, then we got talking with Paul and then we got talking about with the worship leaders. And that was the urgency of putting that seed in the ground. And then we go three years and then I'm back here. And, and so as we were doing worship, that was just all coming back to my mind. And then Pam got up and read. And where'd Pam go? Uh, is she gone for, like, for good? Okay. So when she comes back, you got to tell her this. That scripture she read, I need the last part for her to have at the end of the service. But I don't have my Bible here. But I, I, I need that, that verse. Because then it just, just kind of came together. All right? So as I was praying about this, now we're going to start. Now we start the clock. Um, okay. I know you don't have a clock. That's a, that's a nice thing. You look, well, you do have a clock over there. But uh, uh, I get angry looks if I go past my time. And, and I'm like, okay, we'll just, we won't take advantage of that, but we will stay on track. So now we're, now we're going to start. Um, as I was, I was kind of praying about this, I went, one, I, I, it's an opportunity to speak outside of my circle, and, and, which is nice, because whatever environment you're in, you kind of have to adapt a little bit, respectfully. And, and knowing your church and the nature of your church, then I went, okay, I've got a little bit more freedom there. So let's, Lord, what do you wanna, where do you wanna go? And, uh, and when you're coming in like this, uh, you're really sensitive to what the, what the Spirit is saying. And then you come in and all these things happen and you go, ooh, this is, this is kind of cool. It's kind of nice when you see how the Lord begins to knit things together independently and it starts to tie together. 
And so I wanted to talk today about when God calls and what that means and what to expect in that. And, and I'm going to use a passage that, that was the, it, it, it was from the first sermon that I ever preached. This isn't the first sermon I ever preached, but the text is the first sermon I ever preached. And it was this Isaiah chapter 6. And, uh, and, and it, it, it's the one, and again, I don't have my Bible here, so if I go by memory, it's, it's um, Isaiah 6. It starts out in the year that King Uzziah died. I too saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. And, and, and they were shouting, holy, holy, holy. You know that passage? And then he says, woe is me, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And, and then the seraphim grabbed a coffin and flew across the room, touched his lips, and says, now you've been made well. And then he settles. And then you get to this part where it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So when I was in Bible college, it was Bethany Bible College, it's now Kingswood University, and, and I'm new and, and I'm in this class and we have to preach. And, and all the nerves with that, and our instructor said this. He gave one simple instruction. He said, I want to encourage you, preach what you know. And I'm thinking, what if you don't know anything? Because I'm going with no confidence at all. Grew up in church, went to all the Sunday school, went to youth, get into Bible college and go, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't feel confident at all being here. I don't feel confident doing this. What do I know? And the only thing I knew was, that I was sitting in a, in a service as a teenager with my life all planned out. And there was a speaker that was speaking, and it so penetrated into my heart that I experienced what we call the call of God, where it was like not an audible voice, but it could have been. Because the sensation was so powerful and so real that as this guy was speaking, this Keith Drury was speaking, it was like the Lord was going, that's what I want from you. Will you follow me? And I gripped those seats so hard that my arms shook because I didn't want to do that. And, and after a, a real battle with God over months and months, I finally relinquished because he answered a fleece that I had put out that I thought, there's no way God will do this. And I end up in Bible college. And I end up in this class that says, now you have to preach a sermon. Preach what you know. And I said, the only thing I know is I heard who, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I eventually reluctantly said, here am I, send me. And that was my text. And it was a terrible sermon that I would never preach again. But it was raw. And it began a process that, that I've, I've used all my life, which is only preach what you know. Don't fake it. If you're not willing to experience, don't go there. And it's been quite a journey. And, and when I went through Bible college and I graduated and I got out and I was eventually ordained, part of the ordination ceremony, which again is terribly intimidating, is at the end they shake your hands and everybody's wearing suits and everybody's formal and they hand me a book. And the book was a devotional by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. 
And it had my name and brass there. And, and Oswald Chambers wrote this enduring devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. And, and in it, he says this. He says, God did not direct the call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, Whom will I, who will go for us? The call of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears. And exactly what I hear depends upon my spiritual attitude. Now, Oswald Chambers is one of these ones, I, I, I just started reading it again in January, and, and, and I'm still in the same boat, that half the stuff I read from him I don't understand. But then you read things like this, and it shapes everything. So when I read this early on in my ministry, I went, oh, wait. So the call isn't for a select few. The call is for everyone. And it's kind of a humbling thing to go, so what you're saying is I'm not special. Which the Lord kind of nods in agreement. But it, but it haunts me to think of this, that we overhear this conversation from God. And whether we overhear it depends on our condition, whether we're willing to listen in. And exactly what we hear depends on the state of our hearts. And that's troubling. Because we want to be prudent to know what God is saying to us, especially in days like this. And so there's a, there's a requirement for us to be ready, to be set. But the reality is that the call of God on our lives is normal for Christians. And it might not always be to, to become a pastor or become a missionary, although it could be. It, it may be a call to say something or to do something or to give something. And how do you react when that happens in your life? Because the reality is that most of us, when we encounter God this way, in this real tangible way, we feel more like Isaiah when he says, woe to me, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something about this, and, and, and you probably have had these, these experiences, where you, you have this encounter with God that, that's, that's, that you can feel it. And instinctively, when you have that, that feeling, you, you begin to focus on yourself and all your deficiencies. Begin to look at all the things that are wrong with you. You begin to think of all the things that you did wrong leading up to the service. You begin to think of all the things that you should have did that you didn't do. And instinctively, when we encounter God, we almost get overwhelmed by our own sin. And we miss the fact that, that God has invited us in or has come into the presence of where we're at. And, and we miss that whole element of the specialness of it, and we get caught up in the, in the fear of it. Because when you really press in and get close to God, there is a fear. And, and, the, and the scriptures talk about the fear of the Lord, this respect, but, but we sometimes distort that fear and it becomes a terror. Because we don't see ourselves as being good enough, being pure enough, being spiritual enough. We don't think we've done enough to earn this, this, this honor and this privilege. And we know that deep down we want to honor God with our lives. We want to serve Him faithfully, but fear is right there. And sometimes it's like a brick wall that we just go, this is, this is impassable. And, and maybe at best it's like this, it's just a ball and chain that we feel like we we pull around. 
When I started in, uh, I was 22, fresh out of Bible college. And I was supposed to be a youth pastor, which I thought was going to be the easy life. And I ended up being a pastor of this little church in PEI. And I was born and raised in the Wesleyan Church, which is the Methodist Church. The school I went to was a Wesleyan school. I come out of that thinking, I got this all figured out now. I know everything that we're supposed to believe. And I end up in this little church that was only five years old. And, and I first thing I realized is there's no Wesleyans in the whole church. There's no Wesleyans in the whole province. We had Pentecostals, and we had Christian Reform, and we had uh, kind of a brethren type. We had word of faith. We had some brand new believers, all part of our congregation. And they look up and they go, well, pastor, give us the word. And the first time I stood behind the pulpit, and it was a big wooden old pulpit. Everything was hand-me-downs in that church, and it was this rickety pulpit. And, and I stood behind that the first time, and terror came over me. Because everybody I knew who was a pastor, everybody I'd ever sat under, I thought, they are holy. They have it all together. And I stood behind that pulpit, and my mouth went dry. Because I went, woe is me. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And, and uh, I actually did this. I moved away from the pulpit. And I always preached, and I was kind of a roamer. And, and everyone thought, oh, he's just, he just, that's the way he talks. And it was like, no, because when I came behind the pulpit, I was terrified because I felt that I didn't deserve it. And what I began to realize is, is every Monday morning, I had these little blisters. I had a little white blister here and a little white blister here, and I, and I could never figure it out, and I'd kind of pick at them all through the week, and by the end of the week, they were gone. And Monday morning, I'd look, and there's those little white blisters again. And I went, this is weird. And this went on for weeks and weeks. And, and I'm kind of, eventually I'm going to go, I gotta, something happens on Sunday. I got to pay attention. And I realized I was so nervous that I would rub my two fingers together and I'd create a blister every week. Because when we're serving God, we know our limitations. And it's scary because we don't want to let God down. We don't want to disappoint those that, that have entrusted us to, to be the worship team or to, to serve in some capacity or teach in some way. We, we want to do our due diligence in that, and, 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 and it's like we lug around this fear. And I used to think it was just me, and then when I began to talk to people, I began to realize everybody feels this way. So one of the consolations I have, if, if I can figure out everybody is in the same boat, then I feel a little bit better and, and, and not that I just kind of rested. I go, okay, maybe there's hope if we all work on this together. And I began to look through the scriptures and began to realize that this is what is normal. Every character in the Bible would say things like, am I, am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I spiritual enough? Am, am, I, am I capable of this? And in Exodus chapter 3, we find the story of Moses. And, and the story of Moses, and, I, and I'll kind of gloss over because you know the story. We find in Exodus 3, Moses is keeping the flocks of his father-in-law out in the wilderness. And, 
And you know the story that he was rescued from, a, from execution as a child. He was put in a basket. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the Pharaoh. They brought his mother in to be the nursemaid. So he's getting the stories from his people. He's getting all the education of the Pharaoh. He, he grows up. He tries to deliver his people on his own power. He gets run out, and he goes into exile into the wilderness, and he's there now. And he's in the wilderness keeping flocks, and something catches his eye. And it says there in Exodus 3 that something tweaked his curiosity. It was this, this burning bush that in itself wasn't that odd, except that this bush didn't burn up. And it wasn't something that was, was spectacular. It wasn't something that was holy in and of itself. It was just this, this oddity. And in that moment, it says that, that Moses turns his attention to it. And you begin to realize the significance of that. That this, this thing that was just a little out of the ordinary on a typical day in the middle of the wilderness, this anomaly that he turns his attention to, the moment he draws his attention to it, that's when the Lord speaks and the Lord calls his name. And, and, and as soon as he turns his attention to it and the Lord calls his name, it says that this place becomes a holy encounter. It becomes a holy place. He didn't go to the tabernacle. He didn't go to the worship. He wasn't in prayer. He was in his everyday mundane life. And something in the ordinary catches his attention and he turns his attention to it and then the Lord speaks to him. And that is how it happens in our lives many times. But the moment it gets personal, that encounter becomes holy. And you probably know this story well because we learn it in Sunday school. And some of you are old enough to remember Sunday school with the flannel graphs. Remember the flannel graphs? They were, they were poor things back then. But did you hear about the, the flannel graph team that left the church? Their felt needs weren't being met. So you have to be a certain age to get that one. But you know this story. And Moses encounters God in this place, and it's, it's holy. And, and here's what God does. This is, this, is a, this is a great thing about the story, and I won't have the text up there, but you, you know how the story goes. God starts by, by anchoring himself to Moses' past. He introduces himself right away, and he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he takes Moses, and he goes, Moses, I want you to, to, to remember all those stories your mother told you about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and about the God who was their God. That's, that's me. That's, that's from your past. And then God brings it into the present, and, and God says to him, I have surely seen the afflictions of the people. Now, all of a sudden, God says, you know those things that you're concerned about? I'm concerned about those as well. You know those things that, that you're passionate about that you want to change? I'm, I'm concerned about those things as well. Those things that are happening right now are the things that I'm concerned about. I'm the God of your past, but I'm also the God that sees your present. And then God says this, because he gives them a glimpse of the future. I have come down to deliver them out of Egypt. I want to do something moving forward. So here's your past. Here's your present. Now I want to take you into this future. And it's presented kind of as an invitation. 
But many times when you get a call into your, to your ministry, the Lord will anchor himself to your past, where you've come from. And sometimes you get reminded of the experiences that you've had, whether they're good or bad, and then, then God brings you into the present, and you begin to see that the things you're concerned about are the things that God is concerned about. And then if you pay attention, he gives you this glimpse, this glimpse into the what about or what could be. And it becomes this invitation to go, do you want to you wanna hear more about this? Do you want to grow in this? Now, in that scripture in, in uh, Exodus 3.10, God says this. Because he's not talking about way down the road in the beginning. He says, come, let's go. Let's get started. Uh, let's, let's work on this together. Let's, let's, let's get at it. Now, he doesn't tell Moses, Moses, I want you to go home. I want you to change your clothes. I want you to dress up. I want you to look like a prophet. I want you to get a staff. I want you to get all these things because we got we to gotta set the image. We're going to get ready. We're going to educate you. We're going to prepare you. We're going to go over a plan. We're going to have a strategy. We're going to do all this. God doesn't do that with him. God says, let's go. And, and, and they could have potentially gone except for this, but Moses and when you read that part, you go, you can insert your name there, because I've inserted my name there. We could have done great things, but Andy, and you can insert your name, because you probably have done the same thing. We could have done this, but you, you stepped in. It's almost like it's an instinctive response that we have. We, and we do what Moses did here. And, and Moses asks what in the moment seems like the most important question that Moses could ask God. He says, who am I? That's the first question that Moses asks is in the midst of this encounter. Who, who am I? And it's this, this question of, that, 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 that we've all had. It's like, who, who am I to do that? Who am I to say that? I don't, I don't think, God, that you really know who you're talking to. And again, it's, it's interesting. I'm always interested in what God doesn't do. And, and what God doesn't do here, God doesn't jump on and go, Moses, Moses. No, 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 Moses, look, I want you to understand. Look, I put you in Pharaoh's, so it's in, in, your, in the palace, so you would learn all these things. You know more than you think. And, and, I, and I brought your mother in so she would teach you all the ways of the past. And, and, and you, you've got more in you than what you realize. Moses, I see potential in you. God doesn't do that. God doesn't build Moses up. He doesn't work on his self-esteem. You know what God does? God says, but I'll be with you. To which we think, that should be the end of the conversation. I know you don't have what it takes. You know you don't have what it takes. But it doesn't matter because I'll do it with you. To which you think most of us would go, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that. But we don't. Because instinctively, when, when we have a call in our lives, we go, how am I going to pull that off? What if they react this way when I do this? Then what am I going to do? And the I gets elevated and we begin to look and we get stuck on that question of, of who am I? Now the story goes on in, in verse 13. 
And Moses doesn't agree. And he doesn't linger on the I am question, although it doesn't go away. But it, it, he, he moves on and he, he changes tactics a little bit. He goes from who am I to, but who are you? And it's, it's not a derogatory way of asking. It's like he asked what your name is, but it, it wasn't really about that. It was, it was about, but, but who are you? And God says, I am who I am. And it's a statement that's been chewed on for thousands of years. And you can say that it means I am what I am, or I am the being, the essence of all, or I am what I will be. You can look at that in any number of ways. But he doesn't really clearly answer that question. So Moses first asks, who am I? Then he asks, who are you? But the question that he asks God is not so much who are you in terms of I want to know your title, I want to know your, the theology of, of God. What Moses is really asking is the question that we ask is, but who are you to me? Because I don't see who I am to you. And, and when you have a call on your life to do something, and God says, but I will be with you, the lingering question we have, but, but remind me again who you are to me? How, how do we relate here? Because God says, I'm the essence of life. You can trust me. And he, he brings Moses up to the place of faith where Moses has to, to accept what God is saying. Now, the interesting thing is when you, you fast forward and you get to the time of Jesus, Jesus does the same thing. When they begin to ask Jesus who he is when, and, and he's preparing disciples for ministry, they say a similar, similar thing like, who who are you really? And, and he starts by saying, I am. He says, I am the truth, the way, the path. I am the truth, what is trustworthy. And I am the life, the essence of, of your vitality. And in response to the question that the disciples had to Jesus of who are you, he says, I am the one who will lead you and guide you and invigorate you with a sense of purpose and life. And when they were looking to say, who are you? They were really asking that question, but who are you to, to me? And Jesus responds that way by saying, I'm with you. So these are the two questions that we ask when we're faced with the call of the Lord to minister. Who am I and who are you? And the reality is, is that who am I question can only be overcome by the who are you answer. You need that in your life. You need to know how God sees you. You need to know how God is relevant to you. You need to know how God interacts with you. You need to know that the word says that you're dearly loved and you're valued and that you have a purpose. The who am I question can be a real impediment to us walking out the calling of the Lord. And here's the encouragement. God is not surprised by that. He's not surprised by the fact that you're reluctant to follow. God wasn't surprised when I was reluctant to say yes. 
Because God knows right from the very beginning it's always been that way. Remember Genesis chapter 2 where it says from the very beginning that it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make for him a helpmeet fit for him. Remember that passage? And we think of that as being married. So that's all about marriage between Adam and Eve and they come together. And, and it, it does mean that, but this is a standalone statement. God says this before Eve. He says it's not good for any human being to be alone. And what he then says is, I'm going to do something about it. I will prepare for them, the King James says, a help meet, a helper. One translation of that Hebrew word that I, that I like, it's, it's the help meet means to be a beneficial adversary. There's a, a negative tone to it, but not in it doesn't make it negative. It, it means the beneficial adversary is this counterbalance. So men, next, next Valentine's Day, get your wife to say to my dearly beloved adversary, you are a great value to my life. Because that's the image. It, it was a, a counterbalance. And I, and I didn't really understand that until I, I, I used to do graphic design, and this was back in the day when you had to do everything freehand. And I was amazed by, and you may have seen this, people who did freehand posters or freehand printing on, on windows and, and glass. And one of the things I was always amazed at is, is how accurate they were. So I watched real close, because I would draw with, with, with drafting materials, and, and I knew the challenges with that. But these guys would do this freehand. And then I began to notice is when they did freehand, they often did it like this, with two hands. And I didn't understand why until I realized that this second hand operates as a counterbalance. It actually exerts force against the hand in order for the hand to remain steady. And so when God says, I'm going to create for you a, a beneficial adversary, it's, it's this counterbalance that will enable you to do what you're called to do with precision and with accuracy. So yeah, when you talk about marriage, we can unpackage that and see that that's a good thing. That you will have a helper. Then you go back to Exodus 4. So the story's kind of progressing. And in this encounter, in, in, in the midst of all the back and forth that Moses has, he still can't get past the who am I. So Moses changes tactics of the bill. We can go, well, let me be a little bit more specific here. I want you to understand I'm not very eloquent. I'm not a very good speaker. And God has, a, there's a level of frustration there, but you can imagine God as, as the creator going, oh, I forgot how bad this was. <sighs> Beneficial adversary, right, right, yes, yes, right. Design flaw, let's fix that in the next time around, right, okay, but... All right, Moses, what were you saying? Not eloquent, right. So he says, well, Moses, what about this? What if I bring along a counterweight? What if I bring along your brother Aaron? Who, who oh, by the way, coincidentally, is on his way. And, oh, coincidentally, by the way, when, when he encounters you, and this is, this is a little phrase, you skip over this all the time, but I, I, it, it drew my attention. He goes, this time around when Aaron sees you, and I don't know how many times Aaron came out to visit, but on this day, he's coming out to visit, and he says that when he encounters you, 
his heart is going to come alive. His heart is going to be full of praise. And you go, is he going to be excited to see Moses? Or is it that the Spirit of God has been working in Aaron's life? That the moment he steps into the presence of Moses who's been called, that something is going to come alive in him that is going to say, this is what I've been waiting for. Do you see that? We can read over that and just go, oh, he's going to be glad to see him. No, no, no. The Lord is preparing Aaron's heart simultaneous to preparing Moses' heart that he's struggling with because Moses is stuck on the who am I. And Aaron is coming along just kind of as a bystander. He's not even engaged in this conversation. But when he comes along and he encounters Moses, who has this calling on his life, something's going to come alive in him, and he's going to be excited in his innermost being without even completely understanding it about this encounter with Moses. And we know how the story goes is he's going to come alongside and he's going to become a beneficial adversary, a counterbalance, a support to Moses in the calling. Because that's how God works. There's something that God does consistently in that he matches us up with another one, with one or more others, to come alongside and to work with us because it's not good for any one individual to stand alone. And ministry is a body exercise of the pieces coming together to work together. We are all fallible. We all have shortcomings. We all struggle with that question of who am I? And I'm wondering if that question even ever goes away. Because I have yet to get to the place in all of my years of ministry where I feel competent in doing the job. And just the moment I get settled, go, I think I got this one figured out, something changes. And every time it changes, and every time there's a calling, I always go, but who am I? And maybe I'm slow, or maybe this is just the way it is. So that the next time it happens to you and that instinct pops up, you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who am I? I'm not very good. Who are you? Oh, yeah. You'll be with me? Right. And you're going to bring alongside others or I'm going to come alongside others? Okay. Now my faith is empowered to take the step. Because the faith isn't just wishful thinking. The faith is the substance of those things that you hope for or you long for in your life. It becomes a truth. Now sometimes, like in Matthew chapter 4, God, Jesus doesn't have a lot of time. So what he does is he calls people two by two. So there's James and John. There's, uh, uh, there's Peter and Andrew. And, and he kind of, <laughs> I find it funny because I'm like, I know what you're doing there. He calls the first disciples two by two because then they don't have to worry about the who am I because they go, well, I'm not, oh, well, well, yeah, we'll do it together. And they're well on their way. But you know that every one of those disciples eventually in their story, if you read the story very close, eventually they all get alone and eventually they all wrestle with that question of who am I? Peter, the most notable who am I? I betrayed you. And Jesus comes along and says, but I want you to feed my sheep. I'm going to bring people alongside you. Who am I? 
I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And Peter goes. And that's why the enemy tries so hard to isolate us. That's why the, 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 the pandemic that we experienced was, was so much of a struggle for the church because it isolated us. And all of those vulnerabilities that we had as churches, as individuals, the enemy just pushed down on those things and said, let me just create chaos. And it wasn't until believers began to go, no, no, we got we to gotta connect to the Lord. We got to connect to one another because this is life. And now we're on the other side and we go where we go from here. But I would say this, know this, that there are others who are prepared by the Spirit of God to come alongside you and for you to come alongside others, to knit you together in unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace at LCF to do things in this community that are vital to the work of this community. And I would say that those seeds that we planted back at the end of 2019 by faith to say that there will be one day where we will come together as the Church of Landmark to worship sincerely and to begin to see the hand of God work across this community, that that seed is still in the ground. It's just waiting for the pieces to come together again to activate that. And when you step out to do ministry, the Lord is always right there. And always has others coming alongside to be a partner. You remember in Luke 10 when he sends the disciples out? You know this story. He sends them out two by two. He sends the 72 out two by two. And they go out. And again, they don't have time to go, I, I don't know if I can do this alone. But they go, well, I, where I can't do it, I guess this guy can. And they went out two by two. And you know how that story ends? Is that they returned with what? With joy. You see, they go out going, wait, who, who am I again? Like, they're, they're down the road, and they're going, wait, I, do, do we have what it takes? And then they begin to do things, and they begin to see, oh, this isn't just me. That what Jesus was anointed with, he's passed on to us, and we're going out and we're doing this. And all of a sudden, the who am I question starts to get answered because they start to see, who are you? in a greater measure. And they begin to come back with this new outlook on life. The who am I question is only answered or only settled by the who are you answer. The who am I always brings us back to this question of who are you. And we want to know him more and more every day. And, and this is the thing. This is why you get together on a Sunday morning. To come together, to grow together, to learn together, to, to work together, to have coffee together, to build relationships, to worship, to pray, to do communion. Because we want to know that the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is at work in us. And the Spirit of God is, in, is calling us towards a good plan. In Matthew 28, we go, but we never go alone. We go in partnership, and we go knowing that the Spirit is with us. We're commissioned to go together, and we go in the confidence that he will never leave us and forsake us, that I am always, always with you to the very end of the age. 
and we go in the faith that he will bring people alongside or you'll be a person who will be alongside somebody else as a helpmeet to see the ministry come to fruition. Now, here's the thing to remember, what you can take away with you today. When you respond to God's call, when you put your piece of the puzzle into play, when you are willing to overcome the, the who am I and, and engage, and when you allow God to give the direction and you follow that direction, then, like in Luke 10, you'll return with joy. And we trust his ways and we follow his commission and we go in spite of our limitations and we experience the great joy. The church is not defeated. Church isn't done. There's been a shaking over the last few years, but there's something new that is here. And the job I have now is, is, is not to listen to all the criticism, because there's all kinds of criticisms, all kinds of things that people don't like, but I listen intently to go, but what are the good things? And, and in your church, in LCF, you can take all the things that you go, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this, and I don't like that. What is it that you do? Because the elements that are good within this congregation are the elements that the Lord has been preparing and preserving to use. And the purpose of doing unity together with other churches is because Heartland and Prairie Rose and Saturday Night Church have different gifts that when we bring those gifts all together, we do far more together than we could ever do independent of each other. And that was the heart of that seed that was planted at the end of 2019. Because here's what I know. Is it like what Oswald Chambers said, that if we're willing to listen in on the conversations that God is having, we're going to discover that God is still asking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you can hear that conversation, and how you understand it is going to be based on the attitude that you're willing to have. To step up and without understanding all the details and without feeling necessarily that you're competent or confident in doing it but to just to say here am I send me Lord whatever I can do I want to do I want to be a part of whatever you're doing I want to be a part of what you're what you're creating and you're willing to put your piece into the play and willing to say here am I send me then you're going to be surprised at the joy that you begin to experience and Pam, that scripture you read, that very last one. Did your husband not tell you this? Yes, yes. Okay. What's that very last part of that scripture you read? Um, which verse? About the, the good works. Um, for we are God's workmanship, mm -hmm. created in Christ Jesus mm -hmm. to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah. And that was from Ephesians 2 verse 10. Yes. That's a good verse. Do you believe it? Because if that verse is true, then what that says is you have been created for such a time as this to do some very specific things along with other people who are prepared to do very specific things that are going to be the right things for this time. And God is saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he's waiting for the reply that says, here we are. Send us. And he's waiting for the here am I, send me. Because the effectiveness of LCF 
is going to be based on the responses of the members. And what LCF does and what the other churches in this community will depend on what God can do for the church of Landmark. And that is something to get excited about again. And it's a little bit like putting your neck out. Because you can get criticized for that. You can make mistakes along the way. But that's where God's grace kicks in. It says, if you're trying, I will come alongside. And I was struck with this verse that I'll share with you as a close. It was the calling that Jesus put out to his disciples. And this came alive to me again this week where he says, follow me to those fishermen. He says, follow me which creates the opportunity for us to respond. But then he says, then I will make you fishers of men. You see, it's not dependent on you being everything. It's dependent on you saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And trust the fact that he will make you fishers of men. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that is enduring. We thank you for your word that challenged us to, to stand up straight and be ready to be who you created us to be, knowing that you will use us to be a partner with others, that others will come alongside to be a partner to us so that together we will be able to do what you're calling us to do. So Lord, I pray this, that you would call LCF to some great things, that you would refine their vision for right now, that it won't be like a shotgun where they just try a whole bunch of different things, but Lord, you will refine their purpose, that they will come together in unity, that they will act, and they will see the fruit of their labors. They will see you move through them, they'll see you move upon them, and we will see the results of that into our community. And Lord, we thank you that we are not alone when we are hesitant, but it's the story of your word that we wrestle with that, who am I? But we're overcome, that question is overcome as we press in to understand who you are. So Lord, may the revelation of who you are become greater and greater in this church and greater and greater in each of our lives so that we will stand up and step out and say, here we, send us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.